Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Before we start, let's just look to God in prayer. Father, we dare not come to your word to learn without, Lord, asking you to teach us. And so that's what we're doing right now, Lord. We're asking you to please teach each one of us as we open your word and seek to learn from your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so if you take your Bibles, turn in uh, Genesis 34. Genesis 34, starting in verse 1. Genesis 34, 1. And Dinah, the daughter of Leah, which she bare unto Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, he took her, and lay with her, and defiled her. And his soul clave unto Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the damsel and spake kindly unto the damsel. And Shechem spake unto his father Hamor, saying, Get me this damsel to wife. And Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah, his daughter. And now his sons were with his cattle in the field, and Jacob held his peace until they were come. And Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out unto Jacob to commune with him. And the sons of Jacob came out of the field when they heard it, and the men were grieved. They were very wroth because he had wrought folly in Israel and lying with Jacob's daughter, which thing ought not to be done. And Hamor communed with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longeth for your daughter, I pray you. Give her him to wife, and make ye marriages with us, and give your daughters unto us, and take our daughters unto you, and ye shall dwell with us. And the land shall be before you. Dwell and trade ye therein and get you possessions therein. And Shechem said unto her father and unto her brethren, Let me find grace in your eyes, and what ye shall say unto me I will give. Ask me never so much dowry and gift, and I will give according as ye shall say unto me, but give me the damsel to wife. And the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamor his father deceitfully, and said, Because he had defiled Dinah their sister, And they said unto them, We cannot do this thing to give our sister to one that is uncircumcised, for that were a reproach unto us. But in this will we consent unto you. If you will be as we be, that every male of you be circumcised, then we will give our daughters unto you. We will take your daughters unto us, and we will dwell with you, and we will become one people. But if you will not hearken unto us to be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and will be gone." Now, in our last study, we saw so clearly how we began this chapter as one of the most tragic chapters in Jacob's history here in the family of Jacob, which which is the defilement of Dinah. We saw how it all started in verse one with what Dinah thought was just a harmless curiosity to go see the daughters of the Canaanites, and then it proceeded to that Dinah was seen. She went to see, but she was seen. 
She was seen by a powerful prince named Shechem, who then lusted after her, and then it all fell down like a house of cards in verse two. He saw her, he took her, he lay with her, he defiled her. Dinah was in a sexually perverse community. By the way, that happens to be our world right now. It's becoming more and more sexually perverse. And we're told by the LGBT community that all they want is tolerance, just tolerance, just tolerance. It's not just tolerance. What they want is dominance. Tolerance is only the first step. Their goal is dominance. They want sexual perversion to not just be tolerated, they want sexual perversion to be the norm, dominance. And that's the environment that this 13-year-old girl, Dinah, went wandering off into with her curiosity to see the daughters of the land where sexual perversion was the norm. It was dominant in that place. So after Shechem did that in verse three, something happened though. It says, and his soul clave unto Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the daughter, and he spake kindly unto the damsel. That's an interesting word when it says there at clave. That's a Hebrew word, clave, where it says his soul clave unto Dinah. That's the same word that God used to describe how a man is to be united with his wife. In Genesis 2.24, when God says, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave, that's the word, unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. When it says his soul clave unto Dinah, it indicates that it was more than just physical. His soul was linked to Dinah. And then we're told in verse three that he loved Dinah. He then spoke to Dinah's heart. He spoke affectionately. He spoke tenderly. He spoke with kindness. But this is a problem. And the problem is explained to us in how Dinah is described in verse three. Okay, how is Dinah described in verse three? What does it say? It says, his soul clave unto Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. Ah, daughter of Jacob. He loved the damsel, spake kindly unto the damsel. Don't we already know that? Don't we already know from verse one that Dinah is the daughter of Jacob? I mean, it says in verse one, Dinah, the daughter of Leah, which she bare unto Jacob. That makes Dinah the daughter of Jacob. We know that. So then why in verse three is this emphasized that she's Dinah, not just Dinah, not just Dinah with her own life, not just Dinah with her own, well, what she wants, not just Dinah the damsel. Oh no, this is Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. She's special because she's the daughter of Jacob. This shows the problem. Shechem is a Canaanite. Dinah is a daughter of Jacob. God's got a vested interest in Jacob, in this family of Jacob. So even though there's true love. Oh, but there's true love. Yes, there is true love. Oh, there's kindness, pure kindness. Yes, there is pure kindness on Shechem's part to Dinah. Oh, there's genuine affection. Yes, there's genuine affection. Yes, there's authentic cleaving of the soul. But this marriage cannot occur because Shechem is a Canaanite and Dinah is a daughter of Jacob. And even though there's no, the Bible doesn't say anything like it wasn't, it is true love, pure kindness, genuine affection, authentic cleaving of the soul. Even that's the case. And when it is the case between a Christian and a lost person, that marriage cannot occur because the Christian's a Christian and the lost person is a lost person. And Dinah is the daughter of Jacob. 
and Shechem is a Canaanite. A Christian man one time was going to marry a lost woman and God convicted him and there was love between them, but God convicted him and he broke off the engagement and the woman protested. She said, why, why? And he said, because I am an eternity too old for you. That's why in verse three, it's emphasized that it's not just a potential union between two people where the man was 100% devoted to the woman with his soul cleaving to her. This was a potential union between a believer and a lost person, and God has something to say about that. In 2 Corinthians 6.14, where God says, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? See what he's saying here? When you talk about marriage, you gotta be talking about working together, yoked together. When you talk about marriage, you gotta be talking about fellowship. When you talk about marriage, you gotta be talking about communion. And he says, God says, working together a saved person and a lost person? No. Actual fellowship between righteousness and unrighteousness? No. Communion with light and darkness? No. That's the problem. Such a marriage between a person who knows God and a person who does not know God, it cannot result in the two effectively working together for God as equally yoked. It cannot result in a spiritual, a higher level of fellowship Friendship, yes. Fellowship, no. Fellowship is the highest level of friendship. It cannot result in a communion of spirits or a sharing of light because one's light, one's darkness. And when it says that Dinah was the daughter of Jacob, it's emphasizing to us such a union is destined for disaster in many ways. So the way verse three is constructed by telling us all about the soul cleaving and the soul mating and the love and the speaking kindly, it's all invalidated by this simple phrase, Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. But then we see in verse four that Shechem was so determined that he enlisted his father, go, dad, go, intercede for me, get Dinah to become my wife. You know, I have to marry her or I'll die. Now we come to verse five where we read that Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah, his daughter. Now his sons, they're with the cattle in the field, but Jacob held his peace until they were come. When we read these first words of verse five, and Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah, his daughter, the first question that comes to our mind is, how did that happen? How did Jacob hear that? How did he hear about that? And so we go, we're not told. But we can imagine, well, you know, she had a, undoubtedly she had a handmaid that went with her to, when she went to go see the daughters of the land and the, the handmaid returned without Dinah and told Jacob, well, where's Dinah? Well, let me tell you what happened. And, and that leaves us with the impact of, had Jacob heard? Oh, he might, he might as well have been knocked to the ground. He heard, shocking, shocking hearing for Jacob. Shocking news, unbelievable news. Something that had never happened to him before. You ever been like that? Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever been in what you think is, it's a normal day, and all of a sudden, you are broadsided, you had no idea this was coming, completely unexpected, shocking news. That's what it's saying here in verse five. When we read that Jacob heard, it was shocking. 
What's an example in a, in a, that, that we have been exposed to? The one that comes to my mind is President Bush, President George W. Bush, when he heard that the World Trade Center towers had been attacked by terrorists and they were on fire. And we all remember that famous scene where President Bush is sitting relaxed. He's in the grammar school room with the children of Booker Elementary School in Florida. He's sitting there listening to the students read. He's got the book they're reading from. His assistant comes in and whispers in his ear. What did he whisper? Well, sure, they whispered. Oh, by the way, the, you know, the Trade Center Towers had been attacked. And now by two jets, planes. And um, we all remember that famous look on President Bush's face. He kind of sat there, bit his lip, tried to process he was in a different world at that point. Just think of all the feelings, think of all the thoughts that were just racing through President Bush's mind as he's sitting there holding the children's reader and telling the children what a great job they're doing in reading. That's what's happening here with Jacob. It looks like it's going to be a normal day when suddenly Jacob is told Shechem has defiled Dinah, his daughter, and he's trying to process it all, but it's too much. You know, when Jacob was shocked with this news, what were the feelings? What were the thoughts that came into Jacob's mind? I mean, after he hears this shocking news, if we're in his place and we hear shocking news like that, we're just hit with a flood of feelings. It's like a one after the other, one wave after the other, feelings, thoughts that come. I mean, you know, who, when he heard in verse five, was hit with a flood of feelings, Jacob was. First comes a feeling of intense pain, a sharp pain, soul pain. Uh, you know, oh no, the pain of it all. Then comes the wave of sorrow, deep sorrow, real sorrow, sadness of heart. Then grief, a debilitating grief that makes it hard to stand up. And those are the first feelings that come, the pain, the sorrow, the grief. Then comes the next wave of anger. And the thoughts of who is responsible for this? Who is to blame for this? That's what we do. We want to blame somebody when something like that happens. Jacob wants to blame someone. He wants to blame someone for what happened to Dinah. And so Jacob's thinking, okay, who am I going to blame? The first one he's thinking, huh, top of the list, God? Jacob would think, God's to blame. Yeah, why did God let this happen? I mean, I was just getting my life back on the right track. I left Sukkota. I'm here. I built, look, I built this new altar to God. I named it after my dedication to God. I called it El Elohei Yisrael, God, the God of Israel. My name's Israel. That's my God. I built this altar. Is it right for this to happen to me after I dedicate myself to God? I mean, why didn't God protect Dinah, my daughter, from this defilement, this terrible thing by Shechem? That's it. God's to blame for what happened to Dinah. But then, you know, Jacob, he, he's like us. You know, you get a grip. He said, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. <laughs> Rule one, God's good. I refuse to believe that God's to blame for what happened to Dinah. No, if it's not God, who's to blame? And Jacob sits there and thinks about it a little bit, and he says, oh, uh, it's me? I'm to blame. I'm to blame for what happened to Dinah. I'm the person who's ultimately responsible for the safety of Dinah. I just didn't keep a good watch over Dinah. 
That's it. It's all my fault. I'm to blame for not being the father I should have been, for not being the diligent father I should have been for Dinah. Or maybe there's something wrong. Maybe there's something wrong in my life. And God made this happen to change me. God has allowed this. Because like God said to Israel in Leviticus 26, Leviticus 26, 21, God said to the Jewish people, if you walk contrary to me, and will not hearken unto me, I will bring seven times more plagues upon you according to your sins. I will also send wild beasts among you which will rob you of your children, destroy your cattle, make you few in number. Your highway shall be desolate. If you will not be reformed by me, by these things, but will walk contrary to me, then will I also walk contrary unto you and will punish you yet seven times for your sins. That's a very, very significant word, interesting word, significant word that God used for Israel when he used the word reformed. You know, God told Israel, they walked contrary to him, he would walk contrary to them. And reformed is a great word because it shows the love of God. It shows the Lord Jesus Christ loves us. And when we form a new way of life, oh, I got a new way here. I formed this new way. I'm not, I don't have to obey God. I, I'll disobey God, and I don't even care about it. Then he brings trouble on us, not to destroy us, not to annihilate us, but to reform us back to a life of obedience. And there's the question that it comes, and it should come when something terrible happens. What am I doing wrong that God has allowed this to happen to me? You know, the what question, it's very healthy for us to ask when a tragedy happens. It's a great time for us to have a look at ourselves and ask, is it me? Is it me? Am I wrong? And God has brought this trouble to me to get my attention. Maybe I need to take a good look at myself in the mirror. The Bible says in, in Proverbs 26 too, the curse causeless shall not come. So one question that would come to Jacob's mind is, am I being chastened? Is this my chastening? That's it. I'm to blame that this happened to Dinah. But, you know, we don't stop there. He doesn't stop there. So he thinks to himself, you know what? Jacob would think, Leah's to blame. Yes, Leah. Oh, yes, of course. Who's Leah? She's Dinah's mother. She's responsible for taking care of Dinah. Mothers take care of children. Mothers take care of daughters. Why did Leah let Dinah, her daughter, leave home and venture off to see the daughters of the land? This is Leah's fault because Leah, she was responsible to care for her daughter. Leah's to blame. I never liked Leah in the first place. That's it. It's Leah's fault that this has happened to Leah. And you can go down that road doesn't really get you very far. And, you know, we go down these roads too. They don't get us very far. Then he would think, it's the handmaid. Dinah had a handmaid to be with her. She should have known what would happen, that she should have known that Dinah was venturing off into very dangerous land. That She should have come and told me. The handmaid should have come and told me. I would have put a stop to it right away. Dinah, you're not leaving home. I would have stopped it. That's it. It's the handmaid's fault that this happened to Dinah. You know, all these replayings. That's what we do, too. You know, and then he would sit there and say, wait a minute, Dinah. It's Dinah's the one who decided to leave home. This is Dinah's fault. Dinah never should have left home. Dinah knew how dangerous the Canaanites are. Dinah exposed herself to this danger. That's it. This is Dinah's fault. Then he would go to the next one. Shechem, what am I thinking? 
This is all Shechem's fault. He's the one who took Dinah and lay with her and defiled her. This is all his fault. Nope, wait a minute. Hamor, Hamor, Shechem's father. This is Hamor's fault. He's the father of Shechem. This is his fault. How did he raise his son anyways? Oh, wait a minute. It's all the men of the city. The men of the city, they're the ones who tolerated and fostered such a sexually permissive environment that that resulted in the defilement of my daughter, Dinah. It's the fault of the men of the city. It's all their fault. The men of the city are to blame for the defilement of Dinah. That's what his sons thought. So these are the flood of feelings of sorrow and anger for what happened to this young 13-year-old, probably 13-year-old Dinah. That's what happens to us when we get shocking, unexpected news. Like Jacob, we're hit with a flood of feelings. We feel the pain. We feel the sorrow. We feel the grief. We feel the anger. And we could put ourselves in this picture. We can also plug Job, by the way, into this picture and see the same flood of feelings and thoughts. It's just a repeat that hit him as he got one bad news after another. And Job could have easily become bitter with blaming his servants. Oh, Job would say, it's my servants. Job's servants, they were caring for the oxen. They were caring for the donkeys. Why didn't they stand and fight and protect the oxen and the donkeys from being stolen by the Sabaeans? Job could have thought, my servants are to blame for not doing their job. It's their fault. They just ran and they were killed with no fight. It's their fault that I lost my oxen and my donkeys. Or Job could have blamed the Sabaeans for stealing his oxen and his donkeys and killing his servants. Or Job could have blamed the Chaldeans for stealing his camels and killing his servants uh, who were caring for his camels. Or Job could have blamed his servants and caring for his camels for not fighting off the Chaldeans. Ah, ah, but ultimately, Job could have blamed God for the fire that came down from the sky and burned up his sheep and killed his servants caring for the sheep. Ah, Job could have blamed God for the wind that made the house fall and kill his sons and his daughters. Job could have blamed God for the sores that didn't heal that were all over his body. And actually, that's actually what his wife said. His wife just came right out and told Job that it's God who's to blame. And she said in Job 2.9, then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. For Job to have blamed God as his wife wanted him to, or for Job to have blamed his servants or his Sabaeans or the Chaldeans for all the losses, that would have been Job taking the position of, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this, which is the road of pride. That's the road of pride. The road of blame and bitterness is the road of pride. But instead of taking the road of pride, Job takes the road of humility. When he humbles himself and he says these great words in Job 120, Job 120, Job arose, rent his mantle, shaved his head, fell down on the ground and worshiped. Worshiped, that's what it says. He worshiped and said, naked came I out of my mother's room, naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, the Lord had taken away, Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. In other words, he didn't blame God.
another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Do you believe God created the heavens and the earth? Then come celebrate Creation Day on Saturday, November 5th from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. This is a Christian family festival event with games, rides, contest prizes, fair food, petting zoos, animal shows, super science experiments for kids, plus life-size dinosaurs at our brand new Dinosaur Gardens exhibit, plus world-renowned speakers, Ray Comfort, Tom Cantor, Eric Hoven, Jay Siegert, and more. Free admission to the museum and all speaking engagements are free for your family and the entire church family. The Creation Earth History Museum is located off Highway 67 and Woodside Avenue North in Santee next to the Santee Drive-In. Bring your family and friends Saturday, November 5th and strengthen your faith at Creation Day, San Diego's Christian Family Festival event. For more information, call 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104 or creationsd.org creationsd.org.